morning. I want to read the lyrics of a song that we just sang a few minutes ago. The name of the song is Confident. And uh, there's a part in the song that says this. It says, I won't win this battle with the strength of my own hands. You are the mountain mover, and only you can. I won't build my life on sinking sand. You're my hope forever, the rock where I stand. I really appreciated those lyrics because we're talking about faith today, and that is exactly what the essence of faith is. It's that focus on the Lord instead of myself. I realize I can't do it. Only you can do what needs to take place, Lord, and I need to trust you to carry me through from where I am right now, which doesn't sometimes look like it ought to be like, like uh, Logan this morning sharing about his own wrestling match with his own flesh. And sometimes you look in the mirror, you don't like what you see looking back. And yet God is taking us just like we are and moving us somewhere much better. And, and he's the only one who can do it. And our trust is in him and not in ourselves. That's what we're talking about today. So turning your Bible this morning to First Peter, and we're going to pray but I want to make a point today of really zoning in on this prayer right now. We're talking about true faith today, which has a lot uh, to do with expectations, with our mindset, what our, what our attention is on. And you know, every sermon, I've, I've been a Christian for a long time, every sermon starts with prayer, if it's any, if it's any good. Good. <laughs> And, but we can get to the point where we sort of tune that prayer out, like it's the part maybe where we're waiting to get done so we can get on with it. And yet prayer matters. And it matters whether we have a mindset to receive when we're praying. How many people know it makes a difference uh, if when you pray, you believe that the prayer you're praying matters? Versus if you don't think so, or if you're just tuning it out. I mean, how many people, like if you're sick and you're asking someone to pray, for you to be healed, you want someone who's going to pray like it matters, right? You don't want someone who's just going to pray like, oh, well, I'm just going through the motions because nothing's going to happen anyway. So um, there, there was this time in John 12, 28, when God spoke from heaven and glorified his name. Uh, Jesus is talking, he calls on the Father and says, glorify your name. And, and God spoke out of heaven and did it. He spoke audibly. He said, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. It's an amazing moment in uh, the Gospel of John, and everyone heard the sound. There, there's no doubt God really spoke from heaven at that time. It's recorded right there in John 12, 28. What's interesting is the crowd all heard something, but different people heard different things. I don't know if, if you were reading that at some point in your devotional time, if you noticed that there were different reactions to what just took place. Some, uh, some said an angel spoke. Some said it thundered. What? And so how could all these people experience the same thing and some hear words while others only hear thunder? I wonder how often God is speaking and we're hearing something that's not actually what God is saying. We're just hearing kind of like rolling thunder. <laughs> um, and so we're going to pray. And I, I'm asking you to posture your heart to receive right now as we pray. Uh, focus on God. Um, don't just wait for me to get done, but actually engage your heart and pray along with me in your heart as I pray and believe 
that God is answering you personally as we pray, that right now you are receiving what we're asking. This is part and parcel of what God's doing this morning is calling on God because just like we sang this morning, God is the mountain mover. And so although we give attention to his word, it's our focus on the Lord and our trust that he's working through his word that is what is going to transform us as we're here in his presence together. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. You've given us your word. You've given us your son, Jesus. You've given us your Holy Spirit to work the word in our hearts. And you've given us grace. You've given us favor and blessing that we can gather together in the name of Jesus, in your presence. Know that you're with us, Lord. Open your word and have you begin to enlighten us. Have you, Lord, begin to give us revelation so that we can understand. Because these things are spiritually discerned. And apart from you, Lord, we can't really receive what's here. And so we're calling on you this morning, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, open our hearts, open our minds. And we, we, we posture our hearts to open and to hear and to receive from you, Lord, that, uh, that we'd receive the implanted word with meekness and grow thereby in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Um, and so we're starting today with a fresh perspective on faith. And on God's commands. And that perspective is that a command from God is not a burden. It is an adventure. Everything God commands, he empowers in you through faith. Everything God commands, he empowers in you through faith. And so as we're moving through 1 Peter, 1 Peter is a book with a lot of commands in it. And we're seeing a, a lot of these commands. We're, we'll start to see some of them today. We need to hear these commands with ears of faith, believing the power to do it comes from God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So there's a, there's a supernatural dynamic. Anytime we're, we're engaging our heart with an intent to believe and we're hearing the word of God, there's something supernatural going on right now. And so I just want to pique your attention and your heart to be aware to be sensitive, to have expectation in your heart. We're, we're reading the word and God is present to move on our hearts and to open our hearts to understand what he's saying. And so if you're a believer in Jesus today, a command from God is not a burden. It's an adventure. As you hear and believe, God's power flows through you by the Holy Spirit and God empowers you to do what you didn't think was possible. It's like if you worked for a really great company and they said to you, we want you to go to Australia for a week. You don't go, oh no, I can't afford to go to Australia. That's expensive, right? Because they're buying the plane ticket. They're paying for the hotel and the rent car and the food. It's, it's not a burden, it's an adventure. I get to go to Australia and my company's paying the way. You, and I call my friends and tell them, wow, guess what's happening? It's, it's amazing. When God gives you a command, it's not a burden because in a sense, he's buying the plane ticket for what he's telling you to do. So we're in a series in 1 Peter called True Grace. And today is the true faith part. So it's true grace, true faith. Uh, last time in this series, we talked mainly about what true grace is and why it's so crucial. Grace is not mainly about mercy. We talked about that. 
When Scripture talks about mercy, that's called mercy, not grace. Grace has to do with mercy, but grace is not mercy. And, you know, sometimes people get confused about grace, and they think there's a problem with too much grace uh, making people sin more. How many people have ever heard or even maybe thought yourself that, that there can be an overdose of grace and people, it can cause people to maybe do what they shouldn't do? It's a common misconception about grace because grace never makes people sin more. Grace never does that. True grace sets you free from sin. That's how you get free from sin is, is through true grace. There's, there's something that's not true grace that sort of looks kind of like grace but isn't grace that can produce more sin, but, but true grace never does that. And you can never get too much true grace. And so we, we want to just desire grace like crazy and not have any you know, insecurity or reservations about true grace from God. Every good gift comes from above. And, and there's no regret with what God gives. Amen? Okay. So grace, what is grace? Grace is about my inability and God's ability. My inability and God's ability. And, and, and his graciousness in giving, freely giving me his power in my lack of power. In the midst of my lack of power. God, it's like he's not... He's not looking at me and going, oh, Steve, man, you are so lame. He never, that is never his attitude. I think that should be his attitude, you know, but it's never his attitude because he's like, I I knew all your weaknesses when I made you. I knew it before. I knew it before I even made the universe. I knew you were going to come along, Steve, and I knew all your foibles before you were ever born. And I provided grace so that it wouldn't be a problem. Same thing for you. God knew everything about you. Before he made one atom, he knew everything about you. And he provided grace to make up for whatever's lacking in you. Now, God loves giving us power to do what we can't do on our own. That's his nature. That's who he is. And so one thing, that's one thing that we need to embrace about the nature of God because we can all have a a little bit of a paranoia about God's attitude toward us I've certainly been there myself we wrestle with that sometimes I think but that is not his nature that's not who he is God is not scowling at you for your failures and flaws and weaknesses and brokenness and sin and and all the things that are wrong with you God is not scowling at you about that he never has he's not confused about who you are, and he's not confused about who he is, and he absolutely, passionately loves you, just like you are. Passionately. It takes a lot of passionate to give your own son for someone else. It takes a lot of determination to do that, especially when the someone else doesn't even care about you. At the moment when you're doing it, you know, you got to really, really care about them to care so much that you would give your own son for them while they don't care about you. And that's what he did. That's how he won my heart. That's who he is. But he loves doing that. He loves providing what I don't have. And 
Receiving grace requires humility because grace is not about me, it's about Jesus. See, since I don't have it and Jesus has it, and I need what Jesus has because I don't have it, that means really the whole focus is on Jesus because Jesus is the source. Does this make sense? And so there is, it fundamentally requires humility. Humility is not just kind of a, just one of those things God threw in there because he likes humility. It's a fundamental aspect of what grace even is about. Grace is about my inability and God's ability. That's, that's fundamentally what it is. And so if I don't have the humility to recognize the truth of the fact that it's about my inability and God's ability, then I'm never going to connect with it. I cannot connect with grace until I come to terms with the fact that I can't do it and God, only God can. And, and I just fundamentally get okay with that. You know, I used to be, oh, I can't do it. I'm such a worm. Now I'm just like, oh, I can't do it. It's awesome. God can. So I need to make that transition from I'm such a worm to this is awesome. This is the way it is. This is the way God made it. This is the way it's supposed to be. It's the way it's supposed to be. It's the way it's supposed to be. Okay. Um, So if I want the attention on me, then grace is a problem. If I want the attention on me, then grace is a problem. Because with grace, Jesus gets all the glory. It's right for him to get all the glory because I can't do it and only he can and he wants to do it and he's willing to do it and he loves to do it. And so the fact that it's not about me and it's all about Jesus is just fundamentally the truth of the situation. It's not anything about God wanting to belittle anyone. God has no desire to belittle anyone. It's just a truth. Okay? And so, so a lot of what God wants to do is just align our brains with the truth of the situation and get us okay with it. So we can be happy. We can just really be happy with the way things are. God is good. It's okay. And he doesn't think I'm lame, even though I think I'm lame. God likes me. God likes you. And he's got a plan. He's got a really good plan. And he loves moving you along with him in that plan. He loves being part, partner with you and doing cool things with you. And this is what grace is all about, okay? So grace is really good because I get to do things I could never do if it wasn't for God's grace. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. As I said before, that's fundamentally what grace is about, so it couldn't work any other way but that. Grace and faith are closely connected. Grace is about my inability and God's freely given ability. Faith is about trusting God instead of myself. So you see how those are just intimately connected? Again, it's fundamentally what it's all about. The reason why it works that way is because that's how it is. Grace reveals God as the source. Faith is about trusting the source. Grace is God's power. Faith is how we access God's power. See, God's grace is already there. The Bible says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to say no to ungodliness. Right there is that truth that grace doesn't make you sin. What does grace do? It teaches you to say no to ungodliness. Grace is powerful to eliminate sin, not to stir up more sin. Grace is a teacher, a powerful Holy Spirit teacher for your heart, your soul, your life to move you forward, to transform you, to make you better than you are without grace by like mountains. 
So God's grace is already here. The question is, will we trust him? His grace is here. Will we trust him in order to actually activate that grace in my life? True faith is like that story at the start today with the voice of God speaking from heaven. But some people can't hear the words because they don't expect God to do anything. So when, he, so when he does something, it goes right over their heads. We don't want to be those people who aren't expecting anything. And so God's doing stuff, but we don't even see. We're like, why doesn't God ever do anything? God's like, I'm doing stuff all the time. Why aren't you paying any attention? And we, get, and we convince ourselves that God never does anything. And so therefore, because we have convinced ourselves that God never does anything, we never expect God to ever do anything. And so we never see what God is doing because we're, we're looking the other direction. All we're hearing is thunder. And God's trying to connect with our hearts because he loves you and he wants to do a good work in and through you by grace through faith. Now, some of the people in that story believed and they heard what God was saying, but pay, pay attention to this. Believing didn't make God speak. So that's a misunderstanding of faith to think that faith makes things happen. Faith does not make things happen. See, God was already speaking when they believed, it just allowed them to hear. Our faith allows us to connect with what God is doing. So you'll, often you'll hear someone who's mature and has walked with God a long time say things like, well, I'm trying to understand what God's doing here. Why? Because we want to align our faith with what God is doing. We're not controlling God. <laughs> God's the one in control. If we think that my faith makes things happen, then I put myself in the position of trying to control God. And that's a, a, a twisted understanding of what faith is. But don't misunderstand how powerful faith is. We don't embrace a twisted version of faith, but we embrace the biblical vision of, version of faith, which is very, very powerful and changes everything. So faith is active. Faith is powerful. Faith does make things happen where we are. Because I begin to get in line with what God is doing. And when I get in line with what God is doing, I get to be part of it. And then I'm in the middle of the power of God. When I'm in the middle of the power of God, then I get to be involved in amazing things that I would never be involved in if, I wasn't, if my mind wasn't open, if my heart wasn't believing. Does this make sense? Um, God is constantly working on your behalf. And we can easily miss what he's doing. Our whole relationship with God is based on trust. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct your path. He wants to direct your path. If you've ever wondered, like, I, I, need, to, I need to understand what God's will is. Well, there's one Roadmap for understanding God's will. There's another one in Romans 12, which is aligned with this really well. You, see, you get the whole counsel of God's word and you start paying attention to what it's telling you is the things that the steps that you need to take are related to faith and trust and surrender and, and devotion of your life to God. And when you go there with God, he says, I'm going to be there with you because I'm looking for people who are willing to let me move in and through their life. I'm not looking for people who are awesome. He says, I'm the awesome one, but you can be awesome with me if you're willing. Are you willing? 
If you're willing, the awesome one wants to come in alongside in, a, in the midst of your life and be awesome with you together. So let's read now. Oh, I want to say this. God promised to fully take care of you. He really did. I don't know where all the different people in this room are in your particular walk with God right now and things that you're wrestling with. We all wrestle with different things. And sometimes when we want something really bad or we're afraid of something that's scary, it gets very emotional and we start getting kind of mixed up about what we think God might want or what we think God might be doing because it becomes so emotional and so tied up with our own personal desires. But the thing that you can trust is that God has promised to fully take care of you. And so even if you can't figure out the ins and outs of the circumstances you're in right now, the one thing you can know is that God has promised to fully take care of you. And you can cast yourself on his care and know that he cares for you. He tells you to do that in his word. Cast your cares on him. He cares for you. And scripture says if he didn't withhold his son from you, he won't withhold anything. If you take him at his word, if you believe that about God and you fully expect that from God, that he's going to take care of you, you'll discover God is constantly doing what he promised in your life. And that is what true faith looks like. And so let's read now in 1 Peter 1.10. Uh, 1 Peter 1.10 says, Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories of what would follow. To them, to who? The prophets that were speaking here. To them, it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us. Us, who's us? Christians right now that are reading this word. <laughs> not to them, the prophets in the Old Testament, but to us, Christians today, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit and sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. So what he's saying is, okay, Jesus came. He lived. He, di he died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. He rose from the dead three days later. Pentecost happened. The Holy Spirit was poured out. Thousands got saved. The, the church was supercharged with power. Signs, wonders, and miracles began to happen. People were, began to be saved all over the place, and, and they said, these are the guys who have turned the world upside down. This is what has happened. And he's saying here that, okay, the prophets said something amazing was going to happen, and they were trying to understand what it was, and, it, and as they searched into it and tried to understand it, they were longing. You know, you read the stuff that Isaiah wrote. You read the stuff... From, from Elijah and these guys, beautiful words of redemption. And they're like, oh man, I want that. When is this going to happen? And the Holy Spirit revealed, not to you. It's in the future. Hundreds and hundreds of years in the future before this is going to begin to unfold. Can you imagine? Your, your whole life is about bringing forth these beautiful words of God's power and redemption. And the Holy Spirit reveals you, well, it's not for you. It's for others that will come later. So the first thing we notice about true faith is it is a privilege. It's a privilege. All these guys who prophesied about the Messiah coming and fixing everything that's broken and weak and fallen down in humanity, 
got these incredible words about what Jesus was coming to do and, and release the Holy Spirit to all f- flesh, to everyone who says God, says yes to God today, can receive the power of the Holy Spirit. It was only a few guys back then. You realize that. And, and even those guys were not actually born again. You know, to be born again, you have to believe God raised Jesus from the dead and confess that Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior. They couldn't do that because he hadn't come yet. And so they were getting, they were kind of redeemed on credit, in a sense, waiting for the payment to come. And so they couldn't have the full change yet. They didn't have that transform, that inner change to a new creation. You, could, you can't have that because you have to be raised up in Christ. And Christ had to be raised up. Before, no one else is going to raise up before Christ is, even spiritually. He's first. So he had to rise up first. So I'm just saying this to say, you know, understand, these were great guys, but they were not born again, which makes it even more remarkable how well and solid they walked with God. Sometimes I would read some of the stories in the Old Testament and go, what was wrong with those guys? And then I remember, oh yeah, before I got born again, I was a lot worse than that. At least they had some boundaries on their life. I had no boundaries at all before I knew Christ. You know, at least they were seeking God. I wasn't seeking God at all. I didn't even care about God. So um, there they are, man. They, they don't have it. You've got it. They didn't have it. They wanted it. They're trying to understand. And the Holy Spirit says, it's not for you. If you've got a Bible with you, just kind of raise it up in the air with me. And I want you to repeat after me if you're comfortable doing it. Thank you, God, for this Bible that is now complete for your son Jesus who died for me and rose again. Thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit and the new creation through faith in Jesus that the prophets longed for, that the angels longed for, but you have given to me. Okay, you can put your Bibles down. True faith is a privilege. Isaiah talked about it, but he never tasted it. Elijah dreamed about it. He didn't see it till after he went to be with the Lord. You are more privileged and more favored than the greatest prophet in the entire Old Testament. Before I understood this, I used to wish I lived when they did, and I got to see the crazy things they saw. Anybody ever thought of that maybe when you were a kid and you're reading these Bible studies and stories, you know, and going, wow, that is so cool. I wish I'd been there to see all that stuff. Now I I know that they wished they could live when we live and experience the grace of Jesus that we have in the life of faith that's been freely offered to every human being in this age that we now live in. We are privileged And God is working so powerfully all over this world today. All anyone has to do anywhere in the world is believe. And they can instantly step into the river of God's grace and God's spirit by faith. True faith freely given to us in this age is a privilege. Verse 13, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Before I get to some of the comments that I prepared, I just want to say this. It says, gird up the loins of your mind. That was something that they had, they wore skirts. That seems kind of weird. Even the guys wore skirts. 
And so they couldn't run or fight with this skirt down to their feet. And so they had this thing they had to do if they were going to do anything physical is they had to, they had to kind of pull it up and they grab the back and pull it around the front and tie it up. So it'd be like, it turned their skirt into shorts. That's what it means when it says gird up your loins. It means turn your skirt into shorts so you can run and fight. You can't do it with a skirt down to your feet, okay? So whenever you see that in the Bible, you go, what is this girding up your loins thing? That's weird. No, they're saying get ready for action. So when he says to us, gird up your loins, like, well, I don't wear a skirt. What, he, what he's saying is get ready for action. Whatever you need to do, whatever's hindering you, whatever's tripping you up, whatever's getting in your way, get it out of the way and get ready for action. Just like they did when they knew they were going to have to fight, they were like, I got to take care of this skirt problem before I get in a big fight. Okay? Gird up your loins. Gird up the loins of your mind. The battle is in the mind. He doesn't say gird up the loins of your bank account or anything else. He says gird up the loins of your mind. The mind is the place where we so easily go astray by allowing our mind to go around and around and around about stupid stuff that's not in alignment with God's word. Stay in God's word. Let your mind be renewed. Let your mind be transformed by what this book says, because this is the truth and everything else is not. When you let your mind go around in circles with stuff that's not in alignment with what this says then what you need to do is you need to gird up the loins of your mind. <laughs> you got stuff hindering your thoughts. You got stuff pulling you off track in your brain. And you need to get that, you need to lop that off. You need to cut that circle of thought off. You need to start intentionally focusing and meditating on truth, what it says about God, what it says about God's attitude toward you, the truth about why God sent his son, because he loves you, and that's never going to change. And so anything that you're going around and around in your mind that's contradictory to what I just said, you need to stop it. You need to gird up the loins of your mind. You got a skirt around your ankles, it's tripping, you're going to fall down, you're going to lose the fight. Okay? So gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, don't be drunk mentally, don't be all wobbling around, not paying attention, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. How much conduct does that include? Does it include everything except Friday night? Does it include everything except when you're in the back room on your computer and no one knows what you're doing? Mm -mm. Be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Okay, so here we go with, how does that align with grace? Oh, it aligns perfect with grace. That's right, smack dab in the middle of grace. <laughs> That's what grace comes to do is to set you free to be able to do exactly what that just said. Okay? It says, be holy in all your conduct. Now, holiness is a huge topic, but it starts with seeing yourself as chosen by God for himself. How many people know that, that the word holy means separated? And it, biblically, specifically, it means separated unto God. Okay? So I often use the, the analogy of my wife's china that she got when she got married, which was the pattern that her grandmother had. She loved her grandmother. And so when we got married, she asked for that pattern to remind her of her grandmother. And that is precious to her. And so we don't serve dogs and cats on her china because it's holy. 
You know, not holy like holy to the Lord. It's holy to our guests. It's, it's, it's set aside for a special purpose. It's not just for ordinary use. Okay, you are holy to the Lord. That means you're not just for ordinary use. You're not a dog dish. You're, you're precious. You're, you're chosen. You're set apart. You belong to God. And so to have that vision of yourself. A lot of things that we, we might uh, give into and allow ourselves to come flows out of a false vision of who we are, a false understanding of our identity, not realizing the preciousness of what it means to be chosen by God. That God, God uh, highly esteems you and values you. He gave his son for you. And so you're not for common use. Thank you so much. Oh, and so to see yourself as separated out from ordinary people because of the special relationship you have with God yes. by grace through faith in Jesus. Oh, See, those who belong to Jesus have a particular kind of conduct that comes along with the whole package of Jesus in the new creation of the Holy Spirit and Scripture and faith. The second thing about true faith is it's particular. True faith is particular. It's not anything goes. It's particular. Okay? And remember what we said. A command from God is not a burden. It's an adventure. Everything God commands, He empowers in you through faith. So when God says, be holy for I am holy, God isn't demanding holiness from you. He's declaring holiness over you. Creatively, powerfully, supernaturally. When God created the world, what did he say? The first thing, let there be light. Right? What happened? There was light. See, when God speaks, stuff happens. He said, let there be light. And there was light. When God made you a new creation through faith in Jesus, he said, be holy for I am holy. And you know what happened? You were created as a new creation, holy in God. And the Bible says that you were created holy. That's who you are in Jesus by the creative power of the word of God. And so be true to who you are in Jesus. God made you a new creation and Jesus is now living his holy life through you. So align your heart with the reality of who you are now in Jesus. Don't fight your own identity by living an unholy, unseparated life. Peace and confidence as a believer comes as we surrender to the holiness of Jesus that he brings when he comes in and reigns as Lord in your life. You're not fighting to figure out how to become holy. You're simply yielding to the holiness of Jesus that's already there inside you by the grace of God. Okay, verse 17. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct. I can identify with that statement of aimless conduct. From your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So the third thing about true faith is that it is precious. You were bought with the blood of Jesus. Precious, very precious. Now when it says God judges without partiality according to each one's work, that is not work salvation. It's not talking about heaven or hell here in the judgment that's taking place. You know, you should know, if you've been in this church for very long, you should know heaven or hell is already decided by Jesus dying on the cross for your sins and by you saying yes to that. This judging is talking about rewards, eternal rewards. 
and fulfilling your calling and purpose and destiny in God. And in order to receive the, the reward God has in his heart to give you, and you know God has something in his heart to give you. It's not guaranteed. You actually have to be faithful to receive what he has for you. But he has something for every single human being. I believe even people who wind up in eternal punishment had a hope in God for something better. I don't believe God created anyone desiring them to wind up in punishment. I don't believe that at all. It doesn't mean God doesn't know, but even when God knows, he still puts before you something better. There's something good for every human being. And in order to receive this reward, you got to be intentional about living by faith like we're talking about today. And that leads to impacting lives for eternity. When you live by faith, you're going to impact lives. You are. Because living by faith connects you with God's power, and God's power, by definition, impacts. <laughs> he just does, he, that's, that's his way. That's what he does. And, and what God is doing in your life is he's evaluating whether you're really doing that, whether you're really living by faith, whether you're really connecting with God, whether you're really seeking to be part of the impact that he's making in the earth or not. God's, God is moving over the earth, impacting lives, bringing redemption, bringing uh, life in, in his Holy Spirit's working all over the earth. And he's looking for people who say, I want to be part of that. Amen? I want to be part of that. And if you're authentically engaging and saying, yes, I want to be part of that, then God's happy with that. He's happy with that. And he's, but he's judging without partiality. He's like a judge at the Olympics, judging without partiality between all the contestants to see if they're following the rules and seeking the goal of the event that they're in. He's looking at your life. He's going, are you following the rules and seeking the, the purpose for why you're in this quote-unquote event called the harvest, the mighty harvest of God in, <laughs> in the earth? <laughs> are you, are, is that what you're after? Is that what you're going for? Does this make sense? That's what this judgment is. And when Paul talked about, I'm, I beat myself to, to make sure I'm not disqualified, he wasn't talking about being disqualified from eternity. He's talking about being disqualified from what God intended him to have as a prize, as a reward for faithful service. He says, I'd be disqualified if I didn't do, play according to the rules and do what I'm supposed to do. Same thing goes for every one of us. If, if Paul's in that boat, we're all in the same boat. So this is real. It matters how we live. And it doesn't matter in the sense that it's not, it's not an issue of heaven or hell because that is by grace through faith. It's an issue of the ultimate outcome of your life and whether you fulfill your purpose and calling and destiny, which is kind of, you know, what's the point of your life, right? Is it just to work and have fun and die with a bigger bank account than uh, you had when you graduated from college, which you don't get to take with you, right? Well, what is the point? What is the point? you got to consider your life. What's the point of your life? What are you living for? What are you doing every week with your life? Are you thinking about what you're doing with your week every life? Are you considering the outcome of your faith? What am I, when I go to be with Jesus, there's going to be a list of every life I touched. And there's going to be a ledger of things God had hoped you would touch. How big is the disconnect going to be? Depends on whether we're fully given over to the Lord or not. Okay? That's the judgment that he's talking about. It says when when we see him face to face, you know what he's going to do? He's going to wipe away every tear. What tears do you think those are? 
Okay? Um, so this is saying we need to take this whole thing very seriously. When it says conduct yourself in fear, it doesn't mean a fear-based life. It means consider how much is at stake. Consider that God gave his son's very life blood to make this all possible. And so take it seriously. Your, I mean, your faith has the blood, sweat, and tears of God all over it. And so prioritize your life accordingly. Isn't that a simple phrase I just said? If that's the only thing you go home with today, prioritize your life accordingly, this message will be a big success. You were redeemed with the blood of the Son of God. Think about what that means and prioritize your life accordingly. Amen? Amen? Verse 20, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So the fourth thing about true faith is that it was predicted. It was predicted. This whole thing about Jesus dying for the sins of the world was not plan B. God didn't come up with this after Adam and Eve blew it in the garden. Before God ever created anything, before the foundation of the world, God already foreordained that Jesus would come from heaven to earth as a man and die for us. Why is that important? It's important because God wants you to know that he considers all of this that's going on in this world and, and any pain that you may have gone through in your life and even the guilt that you might feel over the fact that Jesus had to die on the cross for your sins. He, he considers you having redeemed you back to him and being part of his family forever to be totally worth it. What he did. Because he considered it all before he made anything and he still made the decision to do it. He pulled the trigger because you were worth the fact that he knew that in order to actually have you with him at the end of it all, he was going to have to sacrifice his son to get through it all. And he said, it's worth it. And he's God. I mean, he would not do something if it wasn't worth it to him. Do you know that he's God? I mean, he does, nobody makes him do anything. He only does what he feels like doing. Okay. <laughs> and he doesn't do it. He doesn't feel like doing anything that's not worth it. He does, he, it says in the Bible, he has, he, has, uh, he has no pleasure in fools. Okay. That tells you God does not waste time on stuff that it doesn't turn out well. Okay, he, he's doing this because he knows it's turning out well for him. It's what he wants, okay? Um, verse 22, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So the fifth thing about your faith is it purifies you. It purifies you. Love is the greatest purifier in the universe. Did you know that? It's amazing how love can focus your attention and refine your priorities and call your attention to what matters. Um, I remember when I first fell in love with my wife, Vanessa, how my priorities shifted after that. There was a new filter that I started evaluating everything through immediately. And in a sense, it started purifying my life, not in the sense of like God's purification, but in the sense of like Vanessa purification. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like... Uh, removing things that aren't helping me move forward in life with this woman who now meant everything to me. It didn't even feel like a sacrifice because it was for love. So all of you folks that are not yet in a relationship, have not yet gotten married, I just want to tell you, when you get to that point, you, there, there comes a reevaluation of your priorities. You've got to realign your life according to that person you're joining your life with. 
That's, that, that's what love does, if it's really love. That's kind of how you know it's really love. When you start realigning everything, you go, oh, something's going on here. You know? Um, we love God and we love each other because Jesus loved us first and laid down his life for us. And, and we make sacrifices for God and for each other because Jesus made the great, greatest sacrifice there is for us. And, um, you know, they don't even feel like sacrifices a lot of times because the motive is love. And love does that. It, it affects the way you even look at things. And remember that God's commands are not a burden. They're an adventure. Everything God commands, he empowers through faith. So God is empowering us by grace through faith to live out this love that he's given us sincerely. Sincere love, it talks about. And, and when we get on board with this reality that that's what our life is about now, then we notice that other things start falling away. It starts to purify what we give our time to. Love has a way of doing that. So let your faith in God's love have its perfect work in your heart and your life. Let your trust in the goodness of Jesus purify your soul. Verse 24, because all flesh is grass and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. The sixth thing about true faith is that it is permanent. It's permanent. See, people have all kinds of great ideas to try to improve your life. I remember before I got saved, I knew things were out of whack in my life, and so I would try to do this self-improvement stuff. It would last a few weeks. And then I, how many people ever done like a New Year's resolution, and then I found out just a few weeks later that, you know, that's not going to work, and you give up on it. Okay, that's, that's, the, that's the work of man. Um, the problem with people is they can't make up their minds. You know, the, the, all the studies about your health, right? Salt is bad for you. And then it's good for you. And then it's bad for you again. Um, you know, uh, cholesterol, is it good for you or bad for you? I don't know. It depends on which, uh, which guy beating a drum that you listen to. Uh, it, how about fat? Is fat good for you or bad for you? How about uh, carbohydrates? Are those good for you or bad for you? Right? I mean, people keep studying. They, they always seem so confident in what they're telling you until another study comes out and contradicts the last one. Um, you know, there was a time in history when no matter what was wrong with you, they treated you by draining your blood out. And then they learned that was horrible. That was really bad. And, and then they learned, wait a minute, sometimes it can actually help if it's in the right spot for the right reason. Um, so I'm not saying there's no value in man's knowledge or it's not getting better, because it is. But the point is that the glory of man, as real as it is, is, it still withers and fades away. But the glory of God, the word of God, it endures forever. You No one's ever going to come out with an update to the word of God. You know, God, oops, God got that part wrong. God learned something new since that was published, so now we have a revised Bible. That'll never happen. Let's stand up. So just to summarize, in, in Jesus, you have... The true faith from God that is a privilege, it's particular, it's not anything goes, it's precious, it's predicted, it purifies you and it's permanent, it'll never change. And remember that God's commands are not a burden, they're an adventure. So everything God commands, 
He empowers you through faith. So what do you need from God today? What's God speaking to your heart right now? It's not thunder. It's not thunder. (laughs) It's really God talking to you. And whatever God is saying, he's buying the ticket. He's paying the fare. You know, you might be hearing God saying something. You're going, I don't think I can go there. I can't afford it. I don't have what it takes. God say, no, I'm paying the fare. Just come. Just set your heart to do it. And trust me that I will take you all the way there. You get, on the, you get on the plane and you'll find out I bought the ticket. Okay, so I want to invite you right now as our prayer teams are here to get on the plane. Whatever God's telling you, wherever he's telling you he wants you to go right now, we want to pray with you and we believe God's going to meet you right here. He's going to supply what's lacking. Whatever it is, it's by grace through faith. Let's pray. Father, you are amazing. I'm so glad that it's not about me. It's about you. If it was about me, this would be a pretty lame faith. But it's, it's an awesome faith because it's about you. And, and you're awesome. You're glorious. You're powerful. Lord, you never fail. No one will ever be ashamed or regret that they trusted you. And so as we encourage people to come right now and to trust you with whatever is on their heart, uh, we just know that that's not going to be a mistake to do that. That's not going to be something that we're going to regret having done. Lord, uh, I thank you that you meet us in our place of need. I thank you, Lord, that you are what we need. And uh, we just give you honor and glory for that. Lord, Lord, supply what's needed as you always do. So generously, so graciously. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.